Good morning. Uh, my name is Stan Gale, and I am filling in for Pastor Max this morning. And as we turn to the book of James, we find ourselves in the home stretch. We turn to the last chapter, James chapter 5, and our text for today will be verses 1 through 6. So please give ear to the reading of God's Word. James 5, reading at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures, treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Rich Toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, merciful and gracious Lord, we come to you hungering after righteousness, thirsting for the knowledge of you. May your word be living water to our parched souls and nourishment to our weary hearts. Hear us, O God, in the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Several of you have told me that you are doing memory work in the book of James, and I find that very encouraging, and it is a, a great book to be committing to memory and kind of storing up in your heart. My guess is, though, that if some of you are just not doing memorizing the whole book, but just selected passages in the book of James, my guess is that this morning's passage is not one of them. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It does kind of roll off the tongue, but my guess is you're not memorizing it if you're picking portions. Yet, uh, the rich is a recurring topic in the book of James. You've got topics like trials and wisdom and the tongue. Well, the rich fits right in there with a topic that James is concerned about for us as we live by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We saw in chapter 2, when James was teaching on the sin of partiality, and there he referenced the rich. He spoke of those who come into your assembly wearing gold rings and fine clothing, he said that uh, if they come in, make sure they're not shown special treatment. 
And then he reminds them of this. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? In fact, one of the reasons for James' letter, one of the reasons that the people were suffering was likely oppression by the rich. So James, in his letter, as we've seen, has talked about the rich. And now this morning, as he winds his letter down, he talks to the rich. In uh, last week's message on planning, uh, James hinted about those who, maybe he's talking about the rich when he says about those who are conducting business and go to this city or that, that city and uh, are looking to make a profit. Well, last week in that text, James began his uh, word on planning with the words, come now. Come now, in verse 13 of, of chapter 4. And now this morning... He uses this same expression, come now. And it has the sense like, get real or open your eyes. Don't you understand? And we see these two themes of planning and wealth brought together in the parable that was read for us earlier, projected on the screen, a parable uh, that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 12. There, in that parable, uh, Jesus spoke of a rich man who was doing very well, overflowing. And so he decided to myself, things are going pretty well. What should I do? Well, instead of thinking of others, thinking of the poor, thinking how he might use his money, he decides, I'm going to build bigger barns. You know how uh, we can adopt a personal mission statement? Sometimes it's explicit. Sometimes it's more implicit. You know, a, mi a mission statement that we as believers might adopt is um, like, love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbors ourselves. Or do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Or for us Presbyterian types, our our motto might be to, love, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Did you notice the rich man's motto in that parable in Luke 12? His motto was, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And in that parable, Jesus said basically what James says when he says, come now, or get real. And he concludes that parable with this contrast. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Our Lord Jesus had a lot to say about money. A lot to say about the mentality of the rich. In fact, he taught at one point about how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And clearly we see that same concern in the book of James. Now when I pulled into the parking lot this morning, I looked around and I did not see any Rolls Royces. So we come to a passage like this where James is talking to the rich and we wonder, how does this apply to me? How does what James, what he's teaching to the rich apply to me who is not rich? Well, let's, let's dig in, explore James's teaching to see if we can arrive at that. And we'll look at his teaching under three headings. The first is indictment of the rich. In, indictment of the rich. James begins with a, uh, a reversal of fortune. In verse 1, chapter 5, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, we tend to associate having a lot of money with a cushy life. You know, inflation affects all of us, right? But it doesn't affect the rich quite the way that it affects most of us. And we think of the rich uh, being very secure, living at ease. But James paints a different outcome. Rather than luxury... James says they can expect misery. Rather than being merry, like that, uh, the rich guy in the parable that we read earlier, rather than being merry, they will weep and howl. Now, language is interesting, isn't it? Weep and howl. It reminds you of these Old Testament prophets when they were calling the people of God out. James says they will weep and howl. And this reversal of fortune uh, is reminiscent of the story that another story that Jesus told in Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was a poor man. But listen to how Jesus in Luke 16 describes the rich man. He's clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. But upon his death, that rich man went to hell, and here's how Jesus describes him there, as being in torment and anguish. See the, the reversal of fortune. And James says here in our text this morning that all that the rich count on to safeguard themselves, to sustain them, and to satisfy them will prove to be worthless. Verse 2. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now, one of the things that we've seen in James's letter is that uh, we hear references, we hear echoes, allusions to our Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We hear them a number of times, and we hear it here from where our Lord says in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth 
and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what we see in James as he's describing it here is that the, the rich had chosen the wrong investment option. To lay up treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. And then what James does is he goes on and he lays out an indictment of the rich. An indictment is something uh, that lists several charges. Listen to the charges leveled against the rich. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You see, this reads like a courtroom scene, doesn't it? Where the indictment is brought out and the charges are read aloud. And when we look at it that way, the, the portion in verse 1, what it says in verse 1 about weeping and howling and misery, what that ends up being is a sentence of the guilty. A sentence for those who are found guilty. And we look at this indictment, and what do we notice? We notice that each charge reflects a violation of the heart of God. You know, God's concern is for the poor, the outcast, the downtrodden. And we see that displayed throughout Scripture. But the rich were guilty of seeking their own kingdom and their, their own warped version of righteousness instead of what our Lord Jesus said in seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Right, what's the problem here? The problem is not money. The problem is the love of money. It's idolatry. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus said, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question is always, which God will you serve? Will you serve the living and true God or will you serve idols? You cannot love money and love God. You cannot love money and love neighbor. When Paul was instructing Timothy, he was giving him pastoral training. And Paul says things similar uh, to Timothy as James says to us this morning. And one of the key things that Paul said to Timothy in which Timothy needed to shepherd the flock under his care had to do with money. Had to do with kingdom economics. Let me read these two portions from 1 Timothy 6. The first portion represents the danger. 
the danger. Verses 8 through 10. Paul says to Timothy, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this love for money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And you hear the the danger. But also, Timothy is to give direction to people. Verses 17 through 19, he said in verse Timothy 6, um, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Arrogant is the word that James would use earlier. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's the first heading, the indictment of the rich. And that indictment is glaring. The second heading is wealth management. Wealth management. The question here is how do we apply this to ourselves? What is it that our Lord has for us? What is He turning our attention to this morning? We can apply this teaching to ourselves through looking at our own attitude toward money. Our own attitude toward money. And we can get at what our, what our Lord is teaching by taking this indictment of the rich with its charges and turning it inside out so that we can see what it is that God wants of us. What it is that is to shape our attitude for our money and possessions. As we turn it inside out, we see what James mentioned earlier, we see the good that they should do that they're not doing. So we see not only sins of commission, we see the sins of omission. We can identify four principles for wealth management. I'm just going to touch on these. First is the principle of indebtedness. Indebtedness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, how can you boast as though you had not? You see what Paul's saying. You see what's lying in the background of God's heart is an indebtedness that each of us has to God. What we have, what fills our pantries, what's in our garage, what's in our bank accounts, everything is from God. You know, that's why when we gather around a table to pray or we... uh, sit in a chair and open our lunch bag, 
we begin with prayer. Why do we do that? It's because we recognize that it is coming from God and we want to express to Him our thanks for what He has provided. Principle of indebtedness. Second, the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship. Now, a steward is someone who is entrusted with the care and the management of what belongs to someone else. That's not how the rich lived, the rich that James is talking about. The rich lived as though it was theirs. In Matthew 25, uh, the last large teaching block of Matthew's Gospel, our Lord Jesus talks about end times kinds of things. He talks about the final judgment. And in Matthew 25, Jesus gives the, this is where we find these words, well done, and well done, good and faithful servant. Now, to whom was Jesus saying that? He was saying that to those who had proven to be faithful stewards of what had been entrusted to them. To these who were given this number of talents, to these another number of talents, and to those who had handled what they had been entrusted faithfully, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. The principle of stewardship. Thirdly, the principle of generosity. The principle of generosity. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 9. He says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what he said. You will be made rich in every way so that. That's where we lean in. To say, what? All these possessions, this money that I have, what do you want of me, Lord? You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that through your generosity, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see what he's saying? God supplies us to meet our needs. He supplies us our daily bread. But he also supplies us so that we can supply the needs of others. We saw that in James, didn't we? At one point when it said, when he talks about a brother or sister poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and you don't do anything about it, you just say, hey, hope everything goes Okay. And that's not right. All right, the principle of indebtedness, the principle of stewardship, the principle of generosity, and one more, and that is the principle of fairness. Might be a better word for it, but I'm going to go with that. In Jeremiah 23, we see this throughout Scripture. But here's Jeremiah 23, I'm sorry, 22. Woe to him, God says, who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. See, this is a principle that is glaring in James' indictment against the rich. And basically it has to do with this. Remember when James talked about the royal law? The royal law is loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
And basically, this is an application of the royal law in respect to money and possessions. Would, we would not want others withholding from us. We would not want others mistreating us or cheating us. The royal law. Perhaps that's a better title for this principle. The principle of love. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So each of these principles is a way that we can be rich toward God. Being thankful for what He has provided. Being generous as He has been generous to us. Being loving as God has been compassionate and kind to us. And reflecting God's values as stewards of what He has entrusted to us. Indictment of the rich, wealth management, and the third heading is richest of the rich. Richest of the rich. It's always good to have an example uh, to follow. I am very thankful for YouTube. I, whenever there's something goes wrong with my car, um, and there are little things like I need to turn a light off, and I can't figure out, I mean, some lights, like, well, the, a light uh, needs to be turned off, and I figure out how to do it. I look at YouTube, or I need to replace something, fix something, YouTube. And those things are amazing because they take it not only just to, in general to the specific year and model uh, and make the car. Well, we can learn what God wants of us in respect to riches by looking at the richest man who ever lived. It's not, it's not Bill Gates. It's not Elon Musk. It's not Jeff Bezos. Paul identifies this man and describes his philanthropy. 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And our Lord Jesus, he left the riches of glory. He emptied himself, taking on the posture of a servant, the creator, becoming the created. And rather than identifying with the ease of the rich, Jesus the King of glory, humbled Himself. He entered the pollution of the sin of this fallen world. He endured the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross. Or we could put it this way. While we were abounding in sin, the indictment of our sin stretched to the heavens. Sins of commission. Sins of omission. Charge after charge after charge. Things that... Uh, sins in thought and word and deed reached up to the heavens in an indictment against us. When we deserve to weep and howl at the miseries coming upon us, Jesus came to this world, stood in our place, 
paid the debt of our sin and made us rich in His righteousness. You know, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is for us, for that very reason, a feast. I like us, like, uh, let me close by leading us in a prayer of King David. Uh, the scene is this, from 1 Chronicles 29. Uh, David was not allowed to build the temple that was for his son Solomon to do. David had amassed stuff by which he would do it. But all the people are assembled before David. And here is David's prayer as David lifts the eyes of those gathered to their God. So pray with me, please. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now, we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen.